Um, it has been a significant week for our family in the sense that, yes, for the first time I did get a COVID test. Um, all of us, you know, did, did it and the results did come back negative. So we don't have COVID, but obviously we're still getting over our colds. Um, I think it's an indicator that we haven't been taking very good care of ourselves. I know that I, um, you know, our Nike run challenge ended a while back and I haven't really exercised since. Um, I've gone on a couple of walks, but not consistently. Um, I haven't been sleeping regularly and I haven't been eating um, very well. Um, and so it's a reminder to me uh, to take care of myself. And I invited you to another Nike run challenge. Um, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to do it, but if you want to support me and Roy, we're going to try to finish this year strong um, by trying to get back um into health, you know, because we, I think, I think our focus for so much of this year has been just get, get through it, get through it, you know? And so if the ice cream helps us, so be it, you know? And if, if, um, if we just have to kind of lie in bed instead of going out and, and, and exercising, then so be it. But I think, um, now as we're coming out of lockdown, um, we're realizing that we do need to, you know, take care of ourselves physically, um, as well as mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So if you want to join us and support us, we're going to try to do another 80, uh, oh, sorry, 40, um, is it 80 or 40? I can't, I can't remember now. Um, I think I said 80, yeah, 80, 80 kilometers, um, from now until December 20th to take us right, um, up until Christmas. And then, you know, we can indulge a little bit over Christmas, but at least, at least get us there. So, um, I've invited you. So, so, um, if you want to support us, just, you know, accept. And if you're not, if you haven't been invited already, um, if you haven't joined before, Nike Run Challenge is a great way to um, just, you know, you exercise, you keep the, the, the app on, um, but you can see who's on the leaderboard and, you know, creates a bit of healthy competition um, and motivation to, to get us all out there and active. And so help me because I have, um, I really w would like to be healthier um, as we finish this year. It's also been a significant year, uh, sorry, a significant week um, for us in Victoria. Seven days of double zeros. Um, so hooray. I haven't had a donut yet, but um, I'm looking forward to being able to celebrate, you know, as we continue to have restrictions ease. I'm really excited for announcements tomorrow. It's been a significant week for people around the world, unfortunately, in, in, in uh, sadder ways as well. Um, countries like England and Italy are back in lockdown. Um, France is back in lockdown. A second wave of COVID is really surging um, in Europe um, and in the U.S. Um, my sister, you know, my whole family, our, our families live in the U.S. And they've, they've been, they had a million new cases basically in one week a million. They've had over a hundred thousand new cases a day, uh, more than a thousand deaths per day. So yes, we definitely need to continue to pray um, for, for those around the world. And of course the U.S. elections um, it happened this week and is ongoing. Um, so it's, it's really been uh, an interesting week. We've had both the boys home, you know, while um, they had their COVID tests and recovering from the colds. So it's just been kind of a um, weird week where we're, you know, working and then our attention also with the kids and also, you know, constantly looking at the news, like what's happening? Are, do they, do we know yet? Um, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a sad week in a lot of ways as well. On Monday night, Austria, um, in Vienna, there were terrorist attacks that where four people were fatally, um, killed and, and 23 also wounded. And, and the more we, hear about such tragedies and, and the more we see what's happening in the world. I don't know about you, but the thought that comes to mind is, man, what a mess, 
right? What a mess. What a mess that the world is in. And the questions that come to mind are, how, how can, what is God doing in this mess? And how can we worship and praise God in this mess? How can we have faith in a God who, who um, allows this suffering and this chaos? And how can we live with hope in such an uncertain world? I want to present three scenes to you this morning. The first scene is of a young woman who is nine months pregnant. She's just a, a teenager. And she has to travel um, long distance, many kilometers, on foot sometimes, and on a donkey other times, over rocky trails, to, to travel in her condition to Bethlehem. And when she arrives in Bethlehem, exhausted, as you can imagine, there is no room available, at least not one that they could afford. And she starts having contractions and she can't even stand anymore. And it's at this point that someone has compassion and says, all right, well, I'll, you know, I don't have room for you, but you can, you can go in the stable where the animals are kept. And there in the smelly, dirty mess with sweat and blood, she gives birth to Jesus. This long-awaited Messiah, the deliverer, the savior, the promised one. You know, God could have orchestrated his, his, you know, his birth to be in a clean, comfortable home with expert midwives and grandmothers nearby, ready to lay him in a soft, cushioned cradle. But no, he's born in the middle of a census year, birthed in a stable and laid in a manger, basically the trough where like the animals ate from. And when the angel had announced to Mary nine months before, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you, Luke chapter one, verse 28. It turns out that that word highly favored does not come with the VIP pass out of challenges and personal pain and frustrated expectations. Instead, the promise the Lord is with you becomes reality in the birth of Jesus because Emmanuel means, according to Matthew chapter one, verse 23, God with us. And the angels sang to the shepherds in the fields nearby when Jesus was born, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace on, on those to whom his favor rests. And so it turns out that peace is not the absence of pain, but peace is the presence of God. Favor from God is actually his presence. And so the shepherds run to the stable where the angels are, um, are leading them and they worship the baby Jesus in the middle of all that mess, right? While he's still helpless, while he hasn't delivered them, right? He hasn't done anything for them. And before they received any benefit or any change in circumstances, they worship Jesus. Hallelujah. Anyway, the second scene. This time, Jesus is not in a manger, but in a garden. He's no longer a baby, but a grown-up man in his 30s. And it is not his birth, but his death that makes him cry. In Mark chapter 14, we, we get a glimpse of this picture. Verses 32 to 36, they went to a place, that's the Jesus and the disciples, called Gethsemane. And Jesus says to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. 
Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said. Abba means Daddy. Daddy, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Why was Jesus so distressed? Why was he in so much anguish? Because in this moment, Jesus knows that he's, he's going to not only be arrested and crucified and, and, and suffer extreme physical pain, but he knows that he has to bear the sins of the world. That that is his purpose, to bear all the sins of the world and all its ugliness and all its guilt and all its opposition to the character and the goodness of God. He knows that his closest friends are going to betray him and leave him and that many will lose faith. He knows that the people he loved, the people he created, the people he, he ministered to are still going to be yelling out, crucify him with murderous intent in their eyes. He knows that his sacrifice and his substitution is going to be in vain for the many millions of people and generations to come who are going to reject him. And, and, and knowing all this and, 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 and feeling all that he feels as a human being in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, it says that he was in so much anguish that his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Gethsemane is a garden on the Mount of Olives. And so it's not a garden with kind of flowers, which is what we think of when we think of garden. But it was actually a garden of olive, olive trees. And the Hebrew word Gethsemane actually means oil press. Amongst the olive trees, there was an olive oil press. And, and this is what happens, you know, in, in that day and even today. Olives were crushed under immense pressure in order to extract the olive oil. And so they would, they would have the olives and they would crush them under this, you know, enormous heavy rock. And, and then from there would come drop, drop drops of, of olive oil, right? It wasn't, it wasn't something that poured out. It was something that was extracted slowly through that immense pressure. And then the olive oil was used for food and medicine, but also the olive oil was used for anointing, anointing kings, prophets, priests. And so it's so significant that it's here in Gethsemane, which means the garden of the olive oil press, that Jesus' spirit was crushed with the weight of the world. But through that crushing, he utters the words, not what I will, but your will be done. Accepting his role as the Messiah, which literally means the anointed one. The anointed one. Hallelujah. Anyway. The third scene is from the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 19, we see a different picture of Jesus. In verses 6 onwards, I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Now I saw heavens opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with the robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. 
Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with an ar- a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Here we have another picture of Jesus, no longer the helpless babe in a manger, no longer the suffering Messiah taking on the weight of the world, but here we see him as the triumphant king. He now brings salvation and he brings justice. And the great multitude thunders out, Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And omnipotent, you know, it's that word that says he's all powerful, right? He is a God of all power. And, and, and here we see him in his great power, in his great uh, majesty. I recently heard a really powerful illustration about this passage by Joanna Darby, who is an Aussie landscape artist. And she was presenting for um, the One Project, which is a ministry that hosts conversations about Jesus. And her sharing today inspired today's sermon title, Hallelujah Anyway. And I got permission from the One Project to share a portion of the clip with you today. It's about six minutes. And so um, I'm, I really wanted to share what she says because she's such a, a powerful speaker. And so here's a six-minute clip from Joanna Darby.
So in scene six, just, just before we get to the hallelujah chorus, we have an aria, a song for one voice, with a verse from Psalms that says, why do the nations so furiously rage together and, and the people imagine a vain thing and the kings of earth rise up and, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, kind of like Matthew 24 and an increase in wickedness. And then this is when we sing the hallelujah chorus at that part of the story. In that mess, hallelujah anyway. The lyrics for this most famous chorus actually come from Revelation, particularly Revelation 11 verse 15, which is the seventh trumpet and the seventh angel delivering this, uh, declaring, sorry, the arrival of God's kingdom, that the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's the declaration. That's the declaration we make in the mess in between. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on Revelation 11, where these lines come from, says this, we are not dealing in Revelation, and, and I would add in, in Jesus' sermon in Matthew 24. We're not dealing with a single sequence of events in which the seals come first and then the trumpets culminating in the bowls of wrath. What we are dealing with is several different angles of vision on one single great reality, that through the awful turmoil and trouble of the world, God is establishing through Jesus a people who, following the Lamb, are to bear witness to God's kingdom so that ultimately God will be king over all. And this is where Handel chooses to position this most glorious number of his. The, the crowning achievement. It's not at the end. It's not the conclusion. And it's not even in the scene where Jesus is born and, and the sky fills with angels announcing the Prince of Peace and Goodwill on Earth, even though we always associate this piece of music with Christmas. Handel chose to position it as a resistance anthem for those in the thick of it to defy the kingdoms and systems of the world in the now but not yet, to declare in the midst of the chaos and the wickedness an alternative and the promise. I, uh, I remember a couple of years ago, actually, standing in my living room um, with my children and Handel's Messiah was playing in the background and it came to part two, number 44, the Hallelujah Chorus. And I turned it up and I stood up and, and I did the mum thing and decided to take advantage of this as a teaching moment to tell them a little bit about Handel and, and the history and the myth around King George II standing up for this chorus at its premiere in 1743 and then all of the different theories around there, whether he was there or not, but, but how people all around the world still stand up whenever this piece of music is played. And I can't remember which one of them asked, but one of them said, do you stand up? Why? And I said, yes, because Jesus wins. Hallelujah. 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 Anyway. Hallelujah. Anyway. 
is it's not a defeatist cry, right? We're not saying, oh, the world is a mess and let's just vilify it or ignore it or run away from it. We're not saying, oh, we're in la-la land, hallelujah, pretending everything is awesome. Hallelujah anyway is, as, as Joanna Darby so, so oh, eloquently put it, a resistance anthem that looks at the chaos and the conflict all around us and yet cries out with hope and understanding and purpose. Jesus has come and Jesus is coming again. Hallelujah anyway is seeing the mess in the world and doing something personally to help, to heal, to reconcile the land, the people, and all of creation to each other and to God. It's not giving up or blaming God or even hiding in our comfort zone, but it's faith in action, hope in action, love in action. Hallelujah anyway is the shepherds worshiping the baby Jesus before he looked like a king. Hallelujah anyway is is Jesus accepting the crushing, accepting the anointing in order to save others before the resurrection. Hallelujah anyway comes to us when we understand that the Messiah became not just one with us, but one of us. He understands the mess that we are in. He understands the mess that we are sometimes. Hallelujah anyway comes when we understand that the pressing and the squeezing is an opportunity for us to be the light of the world. I mentioned before how the olive press produces the, the, the drops of oil slowly extracted and it fills the lamps and lights the way. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The time to shine is now. Our light shines brightest when in the darkness and in the mess of the world, we show love, compassion, and forgiveness instead of the bitterness, instead of joining in the polemic of prejudice and blaming and arguing and pointing fingers. The root word of, of, of hallelujah is halal, which actually means to shine, to be translucent, to be brilliant. Hallelujah anyway is a call to reflect God's glory, to shine his glory in the middle of our mess. That even though the mess around us and in us seems too great, and we see so much injustice and selfishness and conflict, that we choose to be different, to be kind, to be generous, to be just. The phrase hallelujah is, is not just an expression. It's actually a command. It's an active imperative, an instruction to the, in, to the listener and the congregation to sing and worship the Lord. It's a call to worship the Messiah in the middle of our mess and to let the Messiah transform and shine through us to be a blessing to others. Do you feel like the world is a mess right now? Maybe your life feels like a mess. There's so much going on with not enough focus. Maybe you feel like a mess, like you just don't have it together. Maybe your house is a mess, you know, and then I think sometimes the clutter out, out of, out of ourselves, but in our space kind of indicates the clutter sometimes in our hearts and our minds. Hallelujah anyway. 
because His grace is more than enough for us. Hallelujah anyway, because Jesus wins. And hallelujah anyway, because He has promised that He will never leave us nor forsake us, but He is with us always, even to the end of time. And I pray that as we look around the world and we, we feel that temptation to just flee from it, like hide in our little rooms and be safe, right? Or we have that temptation to, to be angry and, and to be bitter against what's happening. And we also have that temptation to feel completely depressed and, 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 and uh, dejected as we look at ourselves and we think we can never change. Or when we feel overwhelmed and frustrated by what's happening in our lives and our circumstances, especially this year. I want to encourage you to, to worship the Messiah anyway, to hallelujah anyway, in hope and faith that Jesus does have a plan. He is doing something and he is coming again. And until that day, we can do something. We can worship and we can be a light in the world to be a blessing so that others also will be able to say hallelujah anyway. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mess of the world that we are living in, it's hard to know sometimes what you want us to do. And it's difficult to find the faith to worship you anyway, to shine your light and your character anyway. And and it's so easy so much easier sometimes to just kind of retreat within ourselves to take care of ourselves. But Father, give us the courage, as Jesus did, to, to be crushed, but not to let it crush our spirit, but instead to let the crushing produce in us the fruit of the Holy Spirit and to produce in us the light with which we can be a blessing to the world. And Father, I want to pray for all those who are listening and watching wherever they are in the world that at this moment in time you would give us the courage to worship, the conviction to worship, and the faith to worship. I pray in your son's name. Amen.